Now, we've been in a series for the last three weeks that we're going to end today called Star Wars, and it's been a whole lot of fun. And hopefully it's been informative and enlightening to many of you. And we've been praying that for many of you, uh, that your eyes have been opened to a whole nother reality. And we called this series uh, Star Wars because it's cool. But, but honestly, we wanted to ride the wave of excitement that lots of Star Wars fans uh, are having as we approach, we're days away now from the next movie coming out. But there's another reason altogether, one very, very important reason uh, that we called it Star Wars is that all of us are in a war of our own. All of us are, are in that war. In fact, uh, Ephesians 6, and if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn there to the letter uh, that Paul wrote the church at Ephesus. That's where we'll be today. But in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're, we're not. That uh, We're fighting against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, is what Paul says against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places or in the stars. That's what that Greek word means. And, and this war in the stars, that's uh, in the stars or in the heavens, by that Paul doesn't mean that we're fighting spaceships in a galaxy far, far, far away. That's not what he means. He, he means that we are fighting against a whole other reality or a whole other dimension, one that could only be described as stars in, in Paul's day. Uh, but I do want you to know today that that other dimension that we're talking about, the spiritual dimension, it has a direct connection to our dimension, and what happens in these two worlds is connected. And the message today, in my humble opinion, is one of the most important messages, if not the most important message in this series. It's not going to be the normal kind of series or message that you hear and forget and walk out of here and never to re-encounter it again like some of the ones that I've preached to you before, uh, to which I apologize if I've ever preached one like that to you. But, but today is going to be one of those messages where you're going to want to take notes, you're going to want to re-watch it online, and you're going to want to come back and revisit this content over and over and over again uh, because it will be one of those messages that contains some very, very, very clear and practical steps for you to follow as a warrior in this spiritual warfare that you and I are left to encounter. And so let me just back up a, a, a few weeks and take you back to the beginning of the series. In part one, I gave you two truths that are true as it relates to spiritual warfare. Number one, we don't get to choose. You remember that? That you and I don't get to choose whether or not we're in spiritual warfare or not, that it's coming, and it will come at us. And then the second truth I gave you was that we're destined to win, which is incredible truth that we've been promised victory, those of us who are in Christ, but we haven't been promised an easy battle. And some of us know we've been in and out of those battles. And God tells us at the end of that book that we are going to win. It has already been decided. But that doesn't mean there aren't battles along the way between here and the ultimate victory. And the reality is this. We don't get to choose for ourselves whether or not we will be in this thing called spiritual warfare. But, but the follow-up reality is even bigger and more emotional. We don't get to choose for our family whether or not they will be involved in, in spiritual warfare. And I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how many points you have in your spiritual scorecard. I don't care how many jewels that you think you have in your crown. You don't get to opt out of spiritual warfare. And neither do your children. 
In other words, we don't get to say to God, hey, if you could go ahead and skip my kids in that generation, and if you just give them a whole pass on this spiritual warfare thing, that would be great, God, right? We, we don't get to do that. We don't get to flip a switch and say, hey, hey, God, if you would uh, skip them and don't let them be involved in the battle, right? In fact, I would say one of the downfalls to the society that you and I live in today is that kids don't fight anymore. And I fought a lot in school. I just tell you the truth. I fought a lot in school. Now, I, I, there's a guy in my community group that's a big, big guy, and I asked him how many fights you ever been in, and his wife just started laughing and said, he's a chicken. And, and uh, he never had to fight one time because he was big, and people were just intimidated. But one time somebody thumped him, and he went and cried to his mama. I, I didn't go cry to mama. I fought a lot as a kid. I ended up with black. In fact, every elementary school picture I ever had had a black eye or a broken fist. And, 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 we, and we fought. And it wasn't like today. In other words, today, kids are afraid they're going to get shot or, or stabbed. In our day, it was you threw a pump, couple punches. You got, you know, a bloody nose and you went and got a paddling. But you learned how to be a warrior and, and your protection as a parent today as we protect our kids and we try to protect them from every little thing. But, but today, your protection may work as you remove them uh, from that idiot coach in peewee football, right? And you take them out of the action. Or maybe you're that helicopter parent who is solving every single problem for every single child. But I want you to know this. When it comes to spiritual warfare, they're in it. They are in it. Whether you like it or not, whether they like it or not, they are in it. And so if they're in it, why not fight and why not teach them to fight? And today what we're going to look at is what it means to raise a Jedi, what, what it means to raise a, a spiritual warrior, a spiritual champion. And we're going to take a look at the steps uh, to train a Jedi in, in their walk with Christ, a spiritual Jedi, to fight against the powers of this dark world that we are in uh, and a part of as the warfare is a reality in our lives today. And against the rulers, uh, what Paul says, in the unseen world. And, and so I want to jump into the Bible and I'm going to use this passage today to teach you again how I read the Bible, how I study the Bible so that you can see it. My technique may not be for you, and that's okay, but, but it might be helpful today. But you need to read and study the Bible for yourself. You need the Holy Spirit of God to speak to you in your spirit through the Word of God. And I've told you many, 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 many times before, I can't read your Bible for you. I can't read it for you. I can't say your prayers for you. I can't do your biblical meditation for you. I, I can't do those things for you, but you can do them. And I want to show you today how to read it for yourself and let it jump off the pages into your life. And you're going to see today, spoiler alert, by the way, I, I just go ahead and show you. You're going to see in the text today that this is a weapon. And this is a sword, and this is part of your protection, and it's part of your armor, and you need to know it. And if you don't know this, if you are not reading this, if you're not memorizing this, if you're not studying this, it's like going to battle without a weapon, and that would be foolish, okay? And so let's start reading today in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, and Paul says a final word. In other words, I'm summarizing this whole letter to this church at Ephesus, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I want you to circle those two prepositional phrases in that verse. In his, or in the Lord and in his mighty power. And you ought to take note of those two phrases because he's not telling you to conjure up some sort of inner strength. He's telling you to be strong in the Lord. Be strong not in your own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. And when you and I come to Christ, we not only get the person of Christ, but we also...
also get all of his resources. And so that we can be strong in the Lord with all of his resources, with his mighty power. And his power, I want you to know today, it is mighty. That Greek word uh, for mighty is the word kratos, K-R-A-T-O-S, kratos, which can also mean dominion. And that word power is iskus. So kratos iskus, it's mighty power. Iskus means it's based on one's own ability. Now I want you to think through that definition for a second. Power is based on one's own ability. So if it's based on one's own ability, we have to ask the question, well, what ability does God have? Because we're talking about his power. What ability does God have? Well, he spoke everything into existence with a few words, which means that his word has the power of creation in it. And so the question you got to ask yourself today is, have you taken the power of the word of God and given it dominion over your life? He spoke it into existence. And so let me give you a little outline today, three things on how to train a Jedi that'll help you break this text up so that you can memorize it, okay? And the first one we just talked about, number one is this, train them to rely on God's power, not your power, not, not their power, but God's power. Train them to give him dominion and all control to Jesus Christ as Lord. Teach them that Jesus is Lord, but he's not just Lord. He's their Lord, and he's the Lord of their lives, all of their lives, and understanding that that is the beginning of all victory. One of my favorite passages when it comes to spiritual warfare is James chapter 4, and particularly verse 7, which says that you humble yourself before God. In other words, you make him your Lord. You bow your knee, you confess with your mouth, humble yourself before the Lord, and then you resist the devil and he will flee from you. How many of you want to raise children that make the devil flee? All of us do, right? We want to raise kids who the devil runs from. And so that begins with teaching them to humble themselves before God and making him the Lord of their lives. So this battle or, or this star war, this spiritual warfare it is a war of words. And what are the words that Satan uses? We've talked about this multiple times. Lies, slander, and accusation. Lies, slander, and accusation. But this word, the word of God, it contains a mighty, mighty power. And that power is found within you if you are a child of God. Now let's go back to the text and look at the very next verse in verse 11. He says, put on all of God's armor. And he's going to show you all of the armor. Why? So that you will be ready to stand against all the strategies of the devil, which is the second part of the outline. Train them to recognize Satan's schemes. In other words, you've got to teach them to recognize the strategy of the enemy. Lies, doubt, fear, shame, condemnation, confusion. They have to understand what the enemy is coming at them with. And when your kid comes to you and says, Dad, I don't believe in God anymore, what are you going to say to that child? And you, how are you going to respond to that child? You need to be ready to give him advice. You need to be ready to give him an answer. You remember in the movie, The Empire Strikes Back, when Luke goes to meet Yoda for the very first time? You, you remember that story? And, and he's going there to learn how to fight the evil empire. And he's going there to learn how to fight Vader because he wants to fight Vader, right? And all of us were expecting this big, gnarly warrior. And instead, we met Yoda, right? This little green half-frog guy, right? Who's getting a senior discount at the movie theater. He does not look like he can fight at all, right? And yet, Yoda is the Yoda of all that. In fact, we use that phrase or that title about people who are great at 
whatever their field happens to be. And so what does Yoda do in the movie? He teaches Luke to fight. But the question is, how does he do it? He doesn't have him uh, spar. He doesn't have him take out a lightsaber and learn how to do it. No, no. He, he has him pick up rocks in his mind using the force, right? And he has him rearrange the furniture uh, with his mind using the force in Yoda's home, to which we all thought, oh, we saw this before, Miyagi, right? Uh, wax on, wax off. And, and, and he's teaching him to do this differently. We think, is he having him remodel his home? What, what's happening there? But he wasn't. He was teaching them to fight by sharpening his mind. And he was teaching him how to use the force and to control his emotions at the very same time. So that when the time came in the movie for him to fight the evil empire or for him to go against Darth Vader, he was ready because he had learned the strategy first. He learned the strategy. Several weeks ago, I took some of our teenagers uh, to a camp with me about 17 uh, 12th graders I took with me to a camp in, in Kanakuk, and they got to play this game called archery tag. And I remember watching these kids play these other kids in archery tag, and I just got to say to you, I was embarrassed of our kids. <laughs> I, I was just humiliated, actually, because they don't know how to fight, and they don't know war, and, and, and they just got killed. And I was like, I don't even claim them. I, I, I mean, they, they were getting shot with these arrows. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to hide. And, and I just thought of it. These kids have never learned how to fight. Listen, we have to learn to teach our kids how to fight spiritually. we got to teach them this warfare by teaching them the strategies of Satan. But, but we also teach them, teach them the truth of God. So that when the enemy comes to attack, they are ready for the battle. Now look at the Bible. Let's look at how it is you are to fight because it's very specific. He says, stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Now stand firm. What does that mean? That means we are to keep our ground, right? And so many of you, I would just say to you lovingly and pastorally, many of you have given ground to the devil. And that's scary. Because you've allowed things, you've allowed attitudes and behaviors and objects into your home and into your house, and inadvertently you have given ground over to the enemy. And you wonder why the enemy seems to have a hold on your family. It's because you've given up ground. Now look at verse 12, what he says in verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Now as often as you and I have been tempted to believe that our enemy is human, he's not. Your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is not your boss. Your enemy is not somebody who has skin on. Your enemy is not human. You have to tell yourself that over and over and over and over again, particularly those of you of the female gender. You have got to tell yourself over and over and over again, she is not my enemy, he is not my enemy. There is a real enemy and they don't have skin on, right? We don't know what the devil looks like. I've been multiple times, I'm pretty sure, I walk out and tell my sister, I think I just had a meeting with the devil. And I don't know what they look like, but we have those meetings, right? But you have to remind yourself, this is a spiritual war. In other words, we are spiritual beings. You are not a human being with a temporary spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being with a temporary human experience. And, but I do want you to know the two worlds are connected. The physical arena is attached to the spiritual arena, and they can impact one another, which is why we have to continually practice spiritual disciplines. We get in the Word of God. We read devotionals. We pray. We, we meditate on the Word of God. We, we fast. That's what fasting is all about, right? That, that we're saying we know we're physical beings, 
but we are for a moment, for a period of time, for a few weeks, for, a few, you know, for 40 days, whatever the period happens to be, we are going to recognize the fact we need food and we need nourishment. But we're going to, for a period of time, put that aside to recognize the fact that we are more spiritual than we are physical. And during that time, we're going to practice that discipline at which we say, the time I would have spent eating, the time I would have spent on food, I'm going to spend in prayer. I'm going to spend in the Word of God. I'm going to watch and see what God will do in my life. I'm telling you from personal experience, it is a gateway into the supernatural power of God in your life, which is why we're calling the whole church, just alert, uh, on January 1, we're going to enter a 21-day fast. And we've done this many times over the last 13 years as a church, but we're going to do it again starting January 1. You say, I don't even know what fasting is, go, go to our website, thechurch.at forward slash fast, and we've compiled all kinds of resources there for you to read about it, for you to begin praying about it, for you to begin thinking about it, for you to get your kids ready for it, for you to get ready to go in this church-wide spiritual adventure that we're going to do. And we'll break the fast on, on PM, January 1, we'll start in the evening, okay, and we'll break it on January 22. Uh, Sunday evening, and, we'll, and we just decided to break it with date night comedy tour, okay? And so we'll have fun and laugh and break the fast together with a date uh, with our spouse. And if you're single, you, you, you get a date, okay? And, and go out. That's what you do, right? And so you ask somebody out and you go out, and, and then we come to the date night comedy tour and we'll do that together. And, and so that's why we fast is we're recognizing the fact that we are spiritual beings first. It's why I partner with 51 other pastors to write this book every year. Why? So that you can have 52 weeks of spiritual baby food to get you into the Word of God, for you to get into a devotion, for you to do that. And this year we say, hey, what do we want to do this year? Grace, hope, and love which is the anchor for, for the children of God, that we walk in the grace of God. It's a gift. We walk with hope in who Jesus is, and we above all put love, which you know the Bible indicates is the greatest of all of those. And, and so we want to do this devotional together. There's something powerful when thousands of people are reading the same scripture every day over the course of a year and feeding themselves and nourishing themselves. And I want you to know this. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Look at what he said again. It's against evil rulers and against authorities of the unseen world. That phrase that's translated evil rulers, literally in the Greek it should be translated this way, world rulers of this darkness. World rulers of this darkness, which seems to suggest some sort of hierarchy in the enemy ranks. And it says authorities. Here's a question you ought to ask yourself when you read that word. What authority does the enemy have over me or over my family? And the answer to that is only what we give him. That's why Paul says stand firm. Keep your ground. Don't give up ground. Why? Because the only authority the enemy can have over your life is ground that has been surrendered over to him. Now look what he says, against mighty powers in this dark world. Mighty powers, that's the same phrase we just read a moment ago about God. Be strong in his mighty power. And so does the devil have the same mighty power as God? Remember the definition of the word. The word power means according to his ability. And what I want you to know today is that the enemy does not have the same ability as God. Not even close. Not in the same echelon or universe. Listen, Satan's power is a counterfeit of God's power. Everything about Satan is counterfeit. Every temptation is him taking a blessing of God and twisting it and turning it counterfeit. Every power that Satan has is a counterfeit representation of the power of God. 
You, you know what evil is? I define evil this way, as co-opted good. Evil is co-opted good. What does that mean? Co-opted means when you take something and you assume it for yourself and your own use, right? And so that's what the devil does. He takes something of God, good, and he co-opts it for his own use and for his own power. I'll give you an example, okay? Take the words power, sex, and money. Beautiful things created by God Almighty. But when the enemy takes them and assumes them for his own use and his own power, they become evil, right? And so what I want to remind you is that this letter was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus while he was in a Roman prison. He was sitting in a Roman prison with a guard right next to him, his hand chained to the guard's chain, and Paul picks up the pen and he begins writing. And the mighty powers that happen to be sitting right next to him have no say in what he's going to write and have no say in what those words will accomplish and where they will go. Why? Because Paul knows where his power comes from. It comes from God Almighty. And look at what he says again. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now you can take note of this. Just because it comes from a heavenly place does not mean it's not evil. And we've got to teach our kids to stay away from that stuff and to recognize that stuff. That word fighting in verse 12, the Greek word literally should be translated this way, wrestle. If you're from Oklahoma, wrestle. It means to wrestle, wrestle with the devil, right? In other words, wrestling is this one-on-one -on -one thing. It's not your army versus my army. It, it, it is not, uh, you know, y'all versus them. It is you and your opponent in each other's armpits. I just confess to you, I tried to find an illustration. I was on Google trying to find some Star Wars wrestling illustration to help you understand this point. And, and there's not, not anything out there. Except, in fact, I came across this Facebook page that is called the Star Wars Wrestling Federation Facebook page. I thought, I have to research. And, and, and so I went in. This is for the sheep. I got, I got to do this for the sheep. I got to go in and look, right? And, and so I went in, and there are grown men and women who collect memorabilia from not only Star Wars, but also from the WWF. And they bring these figurines to play fight one another. You can't make this stuff up. That's unbelievable, right? And if you're in that, we, we, we should just direct that to a Google search for counseling at TC. <laughs> Number three, let me get off of that, okay, because I'm going to say something I don't mean. Number three, train them to be ready for the battle. Train them to be ready for the battle. What does that mean? You teach them the things we're about to read that Paul is about to write in Ephesians chapter 6. And remember, Paul is handcuffed to a Roman soldier. And so you get the visual of that, of where did he get the inspiration for the armor pieces that we are to put on? Well, he's sitting next to a soldier. He had to look over and go, a helmet? Yeah, you should wear a helmet. And, and, and armor, you should put on armor and a sword and a shield. And he, and he gets the inspiration and he says, take up the shield and take up the sword. And, and he sees them in the physical but understand that he understands, reveals, and writes in the spiritual. Oh, how I want us to raise a generation of kids that see the physical, but understand the spiritual. And in verse 13, he says, therefore, put on. 
Paul loves the metaphor of put on. He loves that metaphor. In fact, over in Romans chapter 13, he says, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself with the presence of Jesus. In other words, we are putting on, in Paul's mind, when we're putting on, this word picture is that you are enveloping yourself with the presence of God. And that the Lord Jesus is so thick on your life. The Lord Jesus is so thick in your thoughts. The Lord Jesus is so thick in your home. And he is so thick in your words that that it feels like you are wearing him. Paul loves this metaphor. And he says, put on what? Every piece. In other words, don't send your kids out half naked. They got to wear every piece. Every piece of what? Of God's armor. Now, what's God's armor? By God, apostrophe S, is God's armor mean possessive, that it's his armor that we put on, or does it mean it just came from him? That's a good question. Did you know that biblically uh, God wears armor? Did you, did you know that? God wears armor. Isaiah 59, verse 17, listen to what it says. He put on righteousness as his body armor, and he placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with the robe of vengeance, and he wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. Listen, if God wears armor, don't you think you and I should wear armor too? And we should learn to put it on and put every piece on. Why? He tells us why. So that we will be able to resist. There's James 4, 7 again, right? We will be able to resist the devil, who the enemy is who he says. We'll be able to resist the enemy. When? In the time of evil. That's what the scripture says. That's Satan's time. In other words, he chooses the time. We don't choose the time. He chooses when the battle's gonna happen and when he's gonna attack. And by the way, scholars are all divided about what that time of evil means. Some say that's way over here in the end times, in the tribulation, in the book of Revelation and all that, right? And others people say, no, 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 it's the present time between Jesus leaving and him coming back again to reign in that thousand-year reign. I, I would just say to you, it doesn't matter because here's the thing. The time of evil is any time Satan tries to attack you. Literally, the way that Greek phrase should be translated is this way, the day when evil strikes. That's the time of evil, the day when evil strikes. And the time of evil, by the way, you know this from experience, can be really, really short. It can be just a few minutes, a brief fleeting temptation, or it can protract itself over a long, 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 long period of time. And and, and so uh, we don't get to choose, by the way. We don't choose that. And so you need to be training your kids to recognize and to respond in the very correct and right way. Look what he says then. He says, then, then after the battle, you will be standing firm. I love that. In other words, you didn't give up any ground. And at the end of spiritual warfare, each battle with the enemy, you should expect yourself to be stronger, not weaker. This is an exercise thing that happens in your life. And look at verse 14. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. That's the first part of the armor that that he mentions is the belt of truth. Again, we are attacking the lies of the enemy with the truth of God. And if you were a Roman soldier, you would take that belt, first of all, and you would put it around your waist and you would cinch that thing up tight, which meant you were able to move quickly, right? Side to side, backwards, forward. You could jump over a fallen soldier. You could jump over some obstacle. You, you were ready to go. It's not unlike the biblical idea of gird up your loins, right? Which is where you would take the dress or the robe that you were wearing and you would reach under and grab the back half, pull it up, and then tuck it down into your belt like a diaper so that you weren't restricted by something over your knees or over your legs right? I don't know if you think this like I think this, but when I'm in certain parts of the country and I see people who are sagging, you know what I'm talking about? Like their whole butt's not even in the jeans. 
They got shirt, I, airport or whatever. I, I, every time I'm so tempted, and Meredith is like, don't. I'm like, hey, I'll race you. I just want to say, hey, I'll race you. And the reason I want to race them is because I don't care how fast they are genetically, they can't run with their waistband right here, right? And, and so it's about pull it up, get it on tight so that you can move and that you can participate in what we're doing here. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, explains truth this way. It says it's the covenant that God has made with us. It's his faithfulness and it's his commitment to us. And when we wear and gird our waist with the truth, not our truth, but God's truth, not scientific truth, but God's truth, not moral truth or ethical truth, God Almighty's truth, right? And all the other armor, by the way, is attached to the belt. It all comes together at the belt. It begins with the truth of of God, which is his faithfulness and his truth standing with us. That's what we rely upon as the children of God. Now look at the next piece that he names. It says the body armor of God's righteousness, which by the way, the armor still looks the same all these thousands of years later. It's just, you know, it's not quarter inch steel like they used in Vietnam. It's now Kevlar, you know, and it's different. It's the same thing. You still wear armor. You still have a shield. You still have a weapon. You still have a helmet. It all is exactly the same. The body armor of God's righteousness, literally the breastplate of righteousness. Now think through this for a second. What is righteousness? And if you don't know the answer to this, you need to write this down. What righteousness is right standing before God. That's what righteousness is. And so I get right standing before God that I wear the breastplate of righteousness, of Jesus' righteousness. It's the part of you in your identity that has been fashioned by God within you. After we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, because on our own, mark it down, we're not righteous. On our own, we're not in right standing before God. But because of Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, yet became sin on our behalf so that we could stand blameless before our Heavenly Father. That is our identity. It's the identity that God has given us. And this new identity of ours, it protects our heart. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart. How, how do you guard your heart? Through God's righteousness. It protects you at the core of your being, at who you are. It protects your heart. And God says you are righteous. You are righteous. And if God says you are righteous, you are righteous. You can mark it down. And nothing the enemy can say should get to your core and change who you are at the core. Now look at verse 15. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. All campuses, just show of hands. How many of you have taken your kids to a game, uh, an uh, athletic activity, and they didn't have their shoes with them, right? How many of you across, halfway across the state, you show up and you don't have your shoes? We, we've all been in those shoes, right, so to speak, where our kids show up without their shoes, and they can't play the game, they can't get in the battle, they can't participate without their shoes. Now, that Greek word for shoes there, it's not just shoe, it's kaliga, which means uh, short boots with studs or nails. Get the visual picture. These are cleats. That, that you are putting on, that you would wear. Why would you wear the short boots with nails or spikes coming out the bottom? It's back to the phrase, stand your ground. 
right? So that you are now standing your ground so that you could not just stay on defense, but so that you could eventually get on offense and take back ground. In other words, the best defense is a great offense. You want to win a game, keep your quarterback on the field at all times. And the reason that Paul mentions the shoes is because we're on the move. As the children of God, we're on the move. Do you know why the rules are continually changing in, in the world of sports? It's so that the games become higher scoring games. Why? It's fan-based, it's dollar-driven, and it's a whole lot more fun to watch a high-scoring game than it is a low-scoring game. And it's more fun, by the way, to score than it is to be scored upon. Do you know Isaiah 52.7 says, How lovely are the feet of those who bring the good news, that we are to wear the shoes of the gospel, that we are taking the gospel to people, that we go out and we tell people about Jesus. That is a huge part of the scheme and our method and our MO in fighting spiritual warfare is that we put the shoes on and we go take back ground from the devil, that we are kicking in the gates of hell. It is not just about don't give up ground. It's about us go take some ground back. It's about us getting on mission with God, which is why I think this year God put in my heart the phrase, a time for mission, as it relates to the Christmas offering. Because there are all different times, right? There's a time for sorrow. There's a time for gladness. There's a time for, there's a time for, there's a time for capital improvement. There's a time when you're building campuses. There's a time when you're doing all different kinds of ministry. There's a time when you're doing all kinds of other activities. But there's also a time for mission. And that's where we are today as a church. And locally, it'll be TC Toys, right? As we minister, I heard this morning, the video said 4,000. I heard this morning, 5,500 children already registered for TC Toys toys, 5,500 children and all their families and all their siblings and, and grandparents and guardians and all that are going to come with them, and we need to serve them. In fact, Ashley made the mention a moment ago that you need to volunteer at TC Toys. So at your campus, if you have a card, I think at all the other campuses, there's a card that you can fill out. At Battle Creek, we ran out of cards, and, and so you can go online or stop outside uh, on your way out, but we need 340 more of you, and so you need to get involved. We need you to, I don't want to announce this next week, so let's just take care of it right now. Get your phone out, sign up to participate. Let's pray about it. God, I pray right now over our church you would convict every human being that ought to serve in TC Toys by the Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What did he say to you? <laughs> Nothing? All right, let's pray again. God, we pray right now. Listen, you need to sign up. You say, I'm not even a believer. I don't care. You don't have to be a Christian to give another human being a toy and to bless their lives. You just got to be alive and have a heart. And maybe you'll come to Christ. We'll share the gospel 68 times that day. And so maybe your whole role is to come, serve somebody, and end up giving your life to Christ. We need you to serve and be a part of it. But not only TC Toys, we're going to, with this offering, relaunch and expand Adopted. I'm so thrilled about that. You ought to start applauding and clapping that we're going to relaunch Adopted and make it bigger and better and expand it. And I'm so thrilled. We've taught dozens of churches how to do orphan care and to find their niche in it. We've helped hundreds and hundreds of families adopt or foster or take care of children. And we're, and we're going to potentially hire people to help us with this. All of us who volunteered and led the Adopted ministry before, we all adopted. And we're busy now. And so we kind of laid it aside for a little while, but now we're ready to pick it back up, and we may need just to put professionals in it to help us launch this and take it where we want it to go. And so we're going to fund that out of the Christmas offering this year. Nationally, we're going to partner with North American Mission Board to church plant in unchurched cities. 
like what we've been doing in Chicago and other metropolitan areas around the country, do disaster relief, but internationally. I can't tell you how excited I am about this, that we are going to uh, begin the phase of having another TC somewhere else in the Middle East. Somewhere else in the Middle East. Not just in Cairo, but in another country altogether. And, and that's exciting to me. It's incredibly exciting to me that TC Egypt is now saying, because it's in their DNA, hey, we don't want you just to give, 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 and y'all get on planes and come over here. We want to go, and we want to be on mission, and we want to use our, our Arabic that we know and you don't, and we want to use our good looks, right? They're the most handsome people on the planet. And we want to go into other Middle Eastern countries and we want to share the gospel with people. And so TC America will now partner with TC Egypt to find another Middle Eastern country for us to have another TC in and we're exploring. Right now, if you were to ask us, it would be Jordan because we have contacts in Jordan. It might be Lebanon. It might be both. We don't know what God's going to do and how he's going to open those doors, but we know that we're going to go into the Syrian refugee crisis in these Middle Eastern countries. And, and there are millions of Syrian refugees. And I want you to hear me because you do not understand this. You do not understand this, that millions of professionals, doctors and, and teachers and scientists and lawyers are living in refugee tents this is not homeless people. These were not out on the street people. These were professional people that were expelled from their country, and now they're living in a tent. And the experts are telling us that the average stay in a refugee tent is 18 years. Years. Which means you raise a whole generation in a tent. And we've got to go into those places where millions of Muslims are living in tents now in these Arab countries, and their openness to the gospel went up about 99 notches. And we got to take the good news of Jesus Christ and minister in a place where we got to go. And, and so this is what the Christmas offering is for this year, and you need to pray. The worst thing that could happen is on December 18th, you show up and have a not talk to God about how you're to participate and what your part in it is. You, you gotta talk to God. And every year we do something like this, people say, Pastor, tell, tell me what to give. All of it. If you ask me, I'm just gonna say give it all. Because I believe in it, we're going, we're full in. So you don't wanna ask me. You need to ask God who's going to be the one who will provide it for you, who has blessed you, who will give it, who will re-give it, and, and will take care of you in the process. So talk to God and ask him what your sacrificial gift and contribution ought to be uh, on December the 18th, and we come and we give joyfully. But, but I want you to look at this, what Paul says, that we wear the shoes and we carry the good news that, that does what? That brings peace. The shoes of the gospel of peace. That, that the kind of good news we carry, it brings peace. And you need to understand this while you are training your kids. Yes, it is a battle, and yes, we fight, but we are not violent, hateful, or broken. We, we are the children of God, and we are at perfect peace. Even in the midst of the battle, we carry the peace of God. God. The good news is the gospel of peace. And we live in perfect peace of mind and heart. Let me just say something to those of you who in our churches who, who, who are from a minority group. Because I've had several conversations in the last few weeks with, with some people in our churches who, are, who make up a minority who are saying, Pastor, I'm, I'm worried and I'm afraid because of the election of Donald Trump and some of the statements that he's made that are racist statements. And I'm walking in fear can I just say to you in love today, Donald Trump does not sit on a throne. 
Jesus sits on a throne. And he is the Prince of Peace. And from the other side of you that are excited that Donald Trump won, and it would be tragedy if Hillary Clinton sat there. But you know what? Hillary Clinton wouldn't sit on a throne either. Jesus sits on a throne. And he is the Prince of Peace. And today I want you to hear me as I say to you, the church of Jesus Christ has prevailed in every generation. It has prevailed in every cultural dysfunction. It has, prepared, it has prevailed in every facet of world history. And it will prevail again. And I want you to hear me today that the Prince of Peace is the one that we we serve and the gospel we carry is the gospel of peace and it is good news and it only comes when you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And here's the question I want to ask you today. Does your son or daughter have a personal testimony? A testimony of what Jesus has done in their lives. First of all, have they crossed that faith line and given their lives to Christ and accepted Christ as their Lord? But secondly, can they tell you about it? And can they tell others about it? Revelation 12, 11 says that we will overcome. How? With two weapons. The blood of the lamb, which is what? Salvation, right? That's where we find salvation. And the word of our testimony. So your children need to know that they're saved. They need to know how they're saved, but they need to know how to tell others about it, and they need to wear those shoes to go tell others about Jesus. And the reality is you're not fighting the fight unless you have the shoes on running to share the good news with a world who desperately needs it. Now think about that armor. Your head is covered. Your breastplate is covered. Your, your belt on, your shoes, the sword, the Spirit, if you turn and retreat and are running back, the only place that's not covered is your backside. If you are not in this battle chasing and pushing back the darkness, you are turning your back to the enemy who will cut you. And he will come after you. And part of the strategy the church of Jesus Christ has laid uh, on the side is the part of the battle that says you got to go to battle. You can't retreat. you got to take the gospel to, to the world. Look what he says in verse 16. In addition, that literally could be translated above all of these, hold up the shield of, say it, faith that's able to extinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy. A, a Roman shield, it, it was two feet wide by four feet tall. And, and it was covered with oiled leather or, or animal hide. And I asked our creative team to get me a shield, and, and this is what they gave me. <laughs> Which is funny, actually, because it's a metaphor for what we give our children. That, that take this plastic shield and carry it into a battle with an enemy who only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And the shield that you and I are to carry is the shield of faith, big belief in God, that we walk in faith. And the Roman soldiers would take their, uh, their shields and they would dip them in water. And the reason they would do that is because the enemies of Rome, one of their strategies is that they would take a bow and arrow and they would shoot uh, arrows that had been dipped in oil on fire into the war zone. And the flaming arrows were not meant to explode on contact or, or, or to cause any real harm. They were meant to stick into the shield and cause panic, to take away their faith in what they were doing in this battle and to walk in panic, right? Which comes from the Greek god 
pan, which happens when we worship idols and we worship something else other than God. We put our faith in something other than the God of the universe. So the soldiers would dip their shields in water so that they would extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. And the only way to keep them from burning was to water down the shields, to stop the fiery darts or arrows, and to keep everybody from quitting and running away. So what is the fiery dart of the devil, and how on earth is faith used to extinguish those arrows? Well, Proverbs 22, 26, verse 18, describes lies as flaming arrows. Lies. It's slander and it's lies, which is the main weapon of the enemy, and he shoots those at you and me. And when Satan hurls those flaming arrows of lies at you, you have to do what the Roman soldiers did and put up the shield of your faith. Your faith in God that has been dipped in the water. Well, what's the water? Well, Ephesians tells us that we are washed with the water of the word of God. That we take our faith and we wash it in the word of God. And we wet it down with the word of God. And our faith is now strong. It is now covered. And it will be able to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. You want to know how to extinguish the darts of the lies of, of Satan? Know who you are. And know who you serve and the God that you place your faith in. Look at verse 17. Put on the salvation helmet. Put on salvation as your helmet. The Roman helmet would cover your ears, it would cover your eyes, and it would cover your head. And we're protecting our thoughts. This is what Paul had in mind, I think. That we're protecting our thoughts. What, what thoughts? Primarily that salvation comes from somewhere other than the Lord. That's a lie. The salvation comes only from the Lord. And we are wearing the helmet of salvation because he is saving us from our thought life. Our lives are to be transformed, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, right? How? By the renewing of our minds. The word translated put on in verse 17, it's different than the word put on in verse 13, and it's different than the word put on in verse 16. Those words literally mean to put on, but this word in the Greek in, in verse 17 does not mean put on. That's a terrible translation of that Greek word. That Greek word literally is translated this way, receive. Receive the helmet of salvation. You don't put it on, you just receive it. The whole point is this is God's action, not my action, not your action. We did nothing to gain salvation. We can do nothing to keep salvation. We can do nothing to lose salvation. Again, this is about relying on God's mighty power. And this passage comes full circle, back to where we began. And it says, look at it, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That word sword it's interesting. I don't have time to teach you all this this morning. That, that, I'll put it in the blog tomorrow. That word for sword in the Greek is makara, M-A-K-A-I-R-A, makara. It's not the normal Greek word for sword. It, it is a short sword, almost a dagger, if you will, that is used for up-close combat. Now, why on earth would Paul, when he could pick any Greek word for sword, use this word? I think he's trying to tell us something. Think about this for a second. He could use any other word for sword, but he used makaira. And the reason he used it, I think, was to send you the picture and me the picture that this battle will be fought up close. That this is hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
And in today's language, it would be, hey, you're not getting out a sniper rifle and taking out someone from 200 yards away. You're not equipping yourself with a cruise missile that will travel hundreds of miles and bomb the enemy. That you are not flying a drone with a remote control and never get near the enemy. No, no, no. This war in the stars will be fought up close. And by the way, another Greek lesson for you here, the word for word there, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is not the normal Greek word for word, which is logos, right? That's the normal Greek word for word, logos. This is not logos. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in this case, is rhema, which those of us in Broken Arrow, we know what rhema is. We've heard that word before, rhema. What is the word rhema? The rhema is a specific word for a specific purpose. It's not a general word that you just throw out over the battle. No, no. It is a specific word from God for a specific purpose in your life. In other words, this is not the sword of the Spirit. This is the armory that contains the swords of the Spirit. This is the logos. But what you got to have is the rhema where God Almighty through His Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, a word, a specific word for what you are battling, for what you are dealing with. In other words, that you take that dagger out. Give me an example. Let's just say your issue is fear. And you live in fear and you're, you're tempted by fear and you're tempted to be fearful all the time. You don't need to just put one of these on your coffee table and say the Bible is the word of God. I will not fear. No, that you need to have one of the 365 daggers, ramas, about fear and fearing not. And in fact, God is so gracious, he gave you 365 so that you would have a fear not for every single day of the week, every single week of the year. And you take that rhema and you claim it and you use it to fight. Listen, he's saying keep your knife sharp because your enemy is prowling around like a lion. And he wants to prey on you and he wants to sneak up and get close to you before he will pounce on you and try to devour you. But let me tell you something about this wonderful word of God. It's called a sword for a reason. And the Bible alludes to it over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. Isaiah chapter 11 Verse four, the earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. Paul tells us in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight, the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and will destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Revelation 19, 13 says, he wore a robe that was dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. And the armies of heaven dressed in the purest linen of white followed him on white horses and from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. This is some serious stuff from a serious, serious God. And he is not kidding around when it comes to this battle that you and I are fighting. And the question I want to ask you today is, so why are we? Why, why do we joke around about this battle when Jesus is not joking around about the battle? And while we joke around about it, we're giving the enemy more and more and more ground in, in our lives. And church, you and I need to get as serious about this as Jesus is serious about this. And if you don't have a consistent prayer life where you get on your face before God, if you don't have a consistent devotional life, if you don't have a consistent time in the very word of God, that's like signing up for the army and skipping boot camp. 
It's like joining the Navy and not knowing how to swim. It's like getting in the Air Force and simply just flapping your arms. Listen, we're talking about our kids. And you mark it down, the enemy has your kid in the crosshairs in the back of his or her head. And this warfare is real and it is true. And he only comes, only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And how do you think he wants to do that? He wants to destroy families and he wants to take you out. And the easiest way to take you out is to take your son or your daughter out. He wants to destroy your family. But he has given you the armor. And he has equipped you with the weapons. And it is time that we stood up and we stood our ground and we put on our armor and we fight like he teaches us to fight. Every campus, I'm just going to ask you today as we get ready to close, would you just stand? And I want to pray over you. The very armor of God, every campus. And would you just take your hands and would you just hold them open like this before the Lord this morning as I pray over you and, and, and just receive it. And your words just say, just say, God, as my pastor is praying over me, I receive it today. I receive the armor. I want to put it on today. Just be receptive in your heart. And today, Father, over all of your children who make up our churches, I pray today the blessing of God on each of their lives, and I pray today around their waist they would take up the belt of truth, that they would stand on the truth, that they would know the truth, then the truth would set them free, that they would run from the lies of the enemy. They'd be able to recognize them and run away from them, that they would stand on the truth of who they are. They would stand on the truth of who you are and who you are in them. Father, today I pray over each of your kids and our churches the breastplate of righteousness that you would put that over their vital organs and you would protect their heart. Father, we know the truth that apart from you, we're not righteous in and of our own. We don't have right standing before God, but because of Jesus, we can be riveted into the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, that our hearts would be protected by the breastplate of the righteousness of God Almighty. Father, I pray today over your kids and I pray you'd put the shoes of the gospel of peace and preparation on their feet, that they would run to share the gospel, that they would walk in peace and not fear, that, that they would be a part of the solution, that they would go into the darkness, that they would lead captives home to Christ, they would cross enemy lines, and they would bring men and women and boys and girls back to Christ and back to right standing with God Almighty. Father, today, I pray you would commission thousands upon thousands of missionaries out of our churches into Tulsa, America, and the world, carrying the good news of Jesus Christ, the peace of the gospel. Father, I pray today that you would help each of your kids today take up the helmet of salvation and to receive it today that you would protect their thoughts, that their minds would be uh, renewed, and by the renewing of their minds, their lives would be transformed, that you would help them to distinguish between the truth and the lies in their mind. And when the enemy comes lying and comes with those thoughts, that they would be able to know it and run from it, to stand on the very truth of your salvation. Our salvation comes from you and you alone. Father, today I pray that you would help them take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that they could stand on 
the rhema, not the logos, but the specific rhema for their issue, for their life, for their children, for their family, for their marriage, for their finances, for their employment, for their gifts, for, for their treasure. Father, for everything that you put in and on their lives, that you would give them a word, a rhema. And Father, I pray today that above all else, that you would take your kids today and put on them the shield of faith. Give them big, big, big faith in a big, big, big God. And that they would walk in the faith of knowing who you are, knowing what you've said about them, and knowing that you will never leave them or forsake them. That you are a good, good, good Father. Give us great faith as a church, Father. And with that faith, may we take back Tulsa, America and the world for Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray and together we all say amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord today for truth? Listen, I love you. Next Sunday, next Sunday you're going to hear stories of thanksgiving and gratitude. You don't want to miss it. And then the following Sunday we'll start our brand new Christmas series. I love you. We'll see you soon. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful week.